Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode 138. I am delighted to have Dr. Jennifer Best joining me today. She is a heavyweight. She is an associate professor of medicine. She's the associate dean for graduate medical education at the University of Washington School of Medicine, and she is the associate program director for the internal medicine residency program at the University of Washington. She is here to talk about something that is really important, though, that she takes all of that leadership work, all of that experience, all of that insight, and she puts it to the test in the month of July. She puts it to the test when she has the opportunity to help onboard and welcome a new class of interns, brand new physicians who are starting their career right out of medical school. It's a real challenge. It's it's great work. It's hard work. And it's also a time of real emotion and anxiety and achievement for people who are ready to step into the tension and roll out from medical school and become doctors. This is a fantastic conversation about a really interesting period in all of our careers. We all go through it. And it's really great to know that there are people like Jennifer who are helping guide a new generation of physicians and getting to talk about it with her was really something I think you're going to really enjoy it. We'll get to the conversation in a second, but I just want to ask all of you, please check out the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me anytime, mark at Explore the Space Show. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. I'm on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And you can find Explore the Space on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Definitely subscribe. We've got lots of good content coming. We've got a whole archive of 138 episodes for you to look at as well. So I would definitely invite all of you to go and take a look. Please leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast because we're on all the platforms and that's a really powerful way to help the show out. That rating and a review and a subscription, really appreciated. I had a blast talking with Jennifer. This was great. It took me back. I, I got the goosebumps. I'm, I was right back in there thinking about when I was an intern and, and starting my career. It was a total treat to speak with her about this pivotal period of time. So without further ado, Jennifer Best. Jennifer, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Mark, for having me. I'm super excited. We are catching you at the right time. I'm very excited about this. So people who are listening, this is the background on on Jennifer coming on the show. You and I connected like five or six months ago. It's been a minute. But we agreed, yeah, we agreed the right time was when we looked at schedules. You said, you know what, Mark? I'm going to be rounding. I'm going to be rounding as an attending in the early part of July. So I'm going to be working with the, the, the crew of new internal medicine interns and the new fellows. How about after I do 14 straight days on service, how about we connect then? And that's where we are today. So I'm very, very excited. And I, I have held true to my promise and I am tired and I'm crispy and I've seen my family <laughs> just a little bit, taken some killer care of patients, I hope, and had a really great time. So yeah. I think we picked it well. That's right. So let's start with this idea of you've been an attending for a while. This is not your first rodeo. I am very no, curious. I remember what it was like to be a new intern. I remember my attending. I remember my residence that first month. It was, it's a seminal moment in all of our careers. When you're starting on that service, when you're meeting your crew for the first time, just take us through, before you've even met them, what is your mindset? What is the mindset that works 
to help these extraordinarily smart people, these incredible achievers, these people who have done so much good stuff, get ready for probably the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges of their lives to that point, starting their internship in internal medicine. What is your mindset before you even meet them to help start the process for them correctly? Yeah, really great place to start. I, I guess I'll lead by saying people talk a lot about the July effect and you know the fact that this is really the time of year where all these transitioning are happening and and is it safe to be a patient in the hospital? And would you want to be a patient in the hospital in July? And and I will say that I, um, having done this for a while, I operate from the assumption that I would want to be a patient in July. Um, I think that there's a lot of good, um, a lot of good energy in the hospital at that time of the year. I think there's an incredible amount of supervision. I think all of us who are coming on service, um, myself included, I feel a lot of. Um, respect for uh, that new responsibility that these folks are stepping into and my responsibility to really be sure that they do have, as you said, that really great out-of-the-gate experience. And so um, I think people ask questions that they might not ask later in the year. I think they triple check, quadruple check things. You know, they're not sure. Everybody's around. So I really, I really carry in that positivity. And I think folks who are starting their training are often operating from this place of an imposter, right? And how did I get here? Yesterday, I was a student. Now I'm an intern. Or yesterday, I was a resident. Now I'm a fellow. Like, who gave me the right to do this? So I try to really bring that energy in and say, look, July is a great time. We're here together. And I try to really norm to those things that we want to focus on as a team that have very little to do with the specifics of the clinical care that they're still learning. But more about what kind of humans do we want to be together as we share this team room? What kind of people do we want to be known as among the nursing staff? And that's where I often choose to start is just, you know, what are our group expectations for these two weeks we have together? I'm smiling. And I, I always like to share <laughs> with my guests when I'm smiling. I'm smiling. And I'm going to tell you why. A couple of things. Number one is I, first of all, agree with you that it doesn't matter what time of year. If someone is sick, you're coming to the hospital. We're going to take great care of you. I would also submit right. there's enough insight and input and research that the July effect really we can probably start to file that away in our in our mythology book um, because I do think it's yeah. something that we need to debunk. It's not doing a service to anybody. So I appreciate you yeah. calling that out. I will also share that as you're speaking, I am I'm learning, but I'm also really hoping that because you have so much experience and you've done this before, that we're building the template because a lot of the anxiety is not just on the side of the new intern and the new fellow, but my friends and my friends and colleagues that I know on social media who are attendings are expressing similar anxiety. Like, am I up for this? I, I'm, I'm going to be right. the guide and the shepherd for this new crew. This is going to be right. tough. So I appreciate you setting the template for that. And then I will finally share, I remember my first month as an intern, the three residents that I had remained three really close friends of both my wife and mine. They were incredible teachers. They're wonderful people. And all three of them are just, they're, they're awesome. And I remember my attending and I will not yeah. submit to you <laughs> that his approach was similar to yours. And we'll just leave it there. <laughs> Fair enough. I also remember my very first attending, and it's for a lot of reasons. Um, I think he was the first person who told me that someday he maybe thought I could be a chief resident, you know, which was something like, they're like, seriously, like we're a couple weeks into this. Yeah. And, and like, what a, what a gift that was that he gave me, just yeah, that vote of yeah, confidence. Yeah. And that did later come to be. But he also took us out to dinner at the end of the month, and he served me my very first oyster 
And let's say that that did not end particularly well, um, but I remember him for that reason as well. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and hold my fire on stories about my first attending and just we'll we'll call it good. Um, But I will say this. You on that first day on service did share a little bit on social media. And I remember I replied, you took your team through an exercise and I'll ask you to walk us through that exercise because I thought it was exceptional. And my recollection was you were on medicine team a at your institution. And I replied to you that medicine team a is hired that if this is the way they're (laughs) going to do business hired, just done. Like let's lock this in now. You know, it's like when a college gets the gets the letter of intent from a 15 year old when they're in high school to come and play a sport for them. Like, let's just lock this down. What was that? that ex- so kind of you. What was that exercise that you took that team through? Yeah. So I have done this the last several times I've been on service and, and basically I've, I sit them down. We all sit in a circle. We do our introductions and really try to kind of go beyond the, you know, where did you come from? And, you know, if you're not a medicine resident, you're a prelim, what are you going to study or where do you want to practice? But, what is it about you that we might not know? And what is it about you that, that might not come to, to show during our time together? So trying to cultivate some sort of level of, of visibility into one another that makes those difficult times, those moments of critical feedback or constructive redirection feel more possible and more human. But I said, I'm going to ask you one question. We all just took a piece of, of paper off a, a sticky pad. And I said, I'm going to just ask you simply to answer this question. Medicine A is known for, or is it, let me pause that. I said, medicine A is a team that blank. And I said, I just want you not to write the whole sentence out, but just fill in the blank. And just take some moment to do that without talking to anybody else on the team. And, and then we just went around the circle and shared what it was that they had come up with and a little bit about what it was that drove them to answer that way. And um, I think there were a lot of nods of affirmation and some clarifying questions that were asked. And we just posted those right in the middle of our team room. And, and it was something that we actually checked back on and said, you know, are we doing these things? Is this, this commitment that we made to our patients and to one another at the very beginning of you know, our time together, are we holding true to that? Are we a team that enjoys being here? Are we a team that gets things done? Do we care? You know, I had this whole big thing about asking patients extra questions, you know, investing in them in a way that we don't need to kind of for their medical care, but really must just in relating human to human. So that was our norming exercise. And um, I, I've had a number of residents tell me that they've never worked with another attending that has done that, but it's a practice I think I'm going to keep. I have the the slide that you put on the slide. <laughs> I have the <laughs> image that you put on Twitter. <laughs> So here's, here's what they wrote. Works together to get the job done, is happy to be here, cares, asks the extra question, helps each other. I ripped up an applause on that one. Gets things done, checks all the boxes, plans for prepping the patient for discharge. This is like fundamental stuff to being a good doc. When you saw this, did any of them make you feel like I have to really knuckle down and pay close attention because these people are not on the right track or was we've got the right substrate here and we're going to do, you know, we'll figure out the medical decision-making together, but in terms of substrate and mentality, we're okay. Yeah. I felt, I felt really good about the substrate. I will say, you know, there were some guesses on social media as to who posted what, you know, and that, that game was kind of fun, but I will say that the brand new interns were 
very focused on the tasks. You know, they wanted to be sure that they didn't miss anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as people got a little bit more senior, maybe they got a little bit more meta in the way that they were going to approach this experience. But I really see that as just part of the normal developmental spectrum. And there was one moment in that exercise where our, our pharmacist had also joined us as had our discharge nurse. Um, and she talked about, you know, feeling like, well, I know I'm not really on the team, but this is what I would say. And the whole team just kind of stopped. It was like the record scratched. And, and, and I think one of the new interns said, you are entirely 100% of this team. You are not peripheral. You're not ancillary or whatever word you would use. Like, without you, we don't do our thing. Um, and that was an example of just a, like a renorming that was awesome. And it was led in that moment by the most junior person on the team. Medicine team A is so hired. Uh, that is, that's so good. That <laughs> must have made you feel a little break. <laughs> yeah. That must've made you feel really proud though. I mean, just to hear that, like, I don't even know if proud's the right word because you hadn't had a chance to interact with them all that much, but excited maybe what is the right word? Like, that is, that is so exceptional. It's so good to know that that's the mindset people have entering our, entering this profession. Where right. were you when you heard that? When I heard that, I think the word that I would use to describe it was really open-hearted. It was yeah. said with this just really incredible, um, almost kind of vulnerable tone of voice. And, and and from somebody who didn't know the system and didn't know really the role and the interaction of pharmacists with medical teams or how our institution thinks about that role. And so just the ability that he had to kind of speak up in that moment, I thought, this, you know, this already feels like a, a safe place where people can express whatever they want to say, that will be entirely fine with me. Because if they can talk about this stuff, they can talk about their clinical uncertainty, they can debrief on difficult diagnoses, you know, we can we can dive into patient deaths, Sylvia, if that happens. Um, it, it felt like we were starting to cultivate a safe place. What would you identify are the sort of primary tension points that you have to help a new intern move through as the attending? What are the things that I know this isn't your first rodeo in, in being on service in July. What are the things that you're on the alert for that you see that, that, because again, right, there's going to be more interns to come and there's going to be, you know, interns have already started, but maybe they aren't in the hospital yet. Maybe they're in the clinic. They're going to move into the hospital. What are some of the tension points that we can kind of have our head on a swivel for that we know come up, we know they're going to happen, but we can be ready for and kind of smooth them over a little bit. Yeah, that's, um, that's really excellent because I think those things are inevitable and everybody brings their bravest face forward. I would say that the first thing that I'm very kind of keenly aware of is that these folks have really just stepped out of medical school, which is by definition often a very, maybe less so these days, I'd like to think, but a fairly competitive process, you know, being rigorously evaluated and you get honors or not and AOA or not. And these things really weigh heavily on folks' minds. And so, just from the get-go, looking for any evidence that folks feel as if they need to um, beat somebody else to the punch or um, any sense of one-upsmanship, I think that's something I don't see very often, but it's it's really nice to be able to say to a brand new intern, you know what, that's so cool. Like, we're not in that world anymore. If you don't know, there's there's nothing to be gained by holding that to yourself, right? And if you don't know, chances are somebody else doesn't know, so... So cool, we can shed that um, that summative evaluation mindset and really move toward a, a more formative schema of, you know, how do we do right by this person, you know, in this moment with with this team. So that's the first thing I look for. And the second thing I look for is really 
I think I'm always surprised by um, how far back you have to go. Um, that sounds really silly, but literally, these folks don't know their way around the hospital. And and I, I think what I felt this last couple of weeks, it sounds, I sound like a grandma, of course, but I felt incredibly nostalgic. And I was having all these bizarre flashbacks of, of things that had happened to me on various hallways as I led these brand new folks around a building that they really didn't know at all and thinking of the experiences that they were seeming to have. So um, not assuming that when you ask them to go see an admin in the ED, they know the quickest way to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you really go back to the, to the baseline. Where's the bathroom? How do I get food? You know, yeah. um, I had one, one intern say to me, I'm still not sure when you want me to tell you that I'm putting an order in. You know, like I, I get yeah. that they taught me how to put these in, but do I need to tell you every time an order goes in? Do I need to let you or the senior resident know? And so I would say the second big thing is really just taking nothing, nothing for granted. Um, and then the third thing is I'm just really trying to be hyper visible at this time of year. I, I feel like I'm a pretty accessible person. I have an office in the hospital. So if I'm not in the team room or seeing patients on my own, I'm often in my office, you know, answering emails or signing notes. But this time of year, I just kind of camp. I just kind of hang out in there. And I just don't want there to be any barriers to activation. Um, I want them to feel like, you know, they barely have to lift a finger if they need it. And um, and I also want to have a sense of what it is that they think they're going to need. Everybody's different. Um, certainly, you can start to see some of the differential strengths and opportunities for growth in learners from the, the earliest days. Um, but I think having those conversations explicitly, like, what do you know to be true about you as a learner? And already, even early, what would you like me to, to attend to as I provide feedback to you? You're... <laughs> You're, you're describing actively and passively like the highest levels and standards of leadership. And I'm just, I'm kind of awestruck by it. Cause I remembered too, as I was preparing to, to have you have this conversation that you're also the associate program director for the residency program. So you have, you have skin oh, yeah. in the game, but you're also leading from the front, right? It's easy for a program director to, to not do what you're doing, but you're right there representing and, and role modeling and mentoring right out of the gate. And, you know, it's that yeah. sort of leadership where, you know, you're leading from the front that is just always unquestionably the right way to go. So actively, right, you're, you're querying and you're establishing some fundamentals and you're making yourself available, but you're also role modeling that, hey, I'm a leader. I get to probably pick my own schedule, right? I'm, I, mm -hmm. I carry a fair <laughs> amount of weight at this institution and I'm here because this is the right place to be and there's nowhere else that I want to be, that resonates because I can share with you that the converse is usually very apparent and mm. has its own impact on how people function and attend to their work and pay attention to detail and feel accountable and all of those sorts of things as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, and I would say for those of us who are you know, at this point, you know, years out of training, there's really something incredibly precious about being part of a team like that, yeah. you know, and I have made my clinical career as a hospitalist, right, where, you know, you're on a teaching service some of the time, but spend a fair amount of time kind of as a team of one within your broader, you know, practice group, but there's really no other team like that team of learners, that kind of dyadic senior intern. It's actually not really dyadic, right? Because there's more than two people. <laughs> we had two medical students, two third years, two interns, and a senior resident, right, with a right, pharmacist, right. And a discharge nurse. But but that is a really special unit, and there's some real beauty 
as an attending to be able to be kind of permitted back into that environment again. I think that there, um, it almost makes you long to reproduce that experience, almost. Almost. <laughs> until, until you're leaving home for the night and they're actually there until the next morning. But, yeah, but it's yeah. really special and you do capture some of that um, in proximity to it. So then let's talk about helping them gather the confidence to execute medical decisions, right? It's one thing when you're a fourth year medical student and you're smarter than you're ever going to be in the rest of your life as a fourth year medical student, it feels like now you're an intern and the term itself intern is it's so loaded. It's so loaded with negative connotations and jokes and pejoratives. I'll be honest. I think it's, it's fair. It's fair and right to have a conversation about whether we can retire that term and come up with something different. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, Um, I really think we should. It's just so another another podcast. Exactly. It's just (laughs) such a fraught term, you know, intern, everybody in and out of medicine, hears that term as it relates to medicine and it's a punching bag. And I think we can probably do a little bit better to serve the, these extraordinarily smart, highly motivated people who are in this role. But as you say, that's a podcast for another day, but I think it's fair to call it out. You do have to, you do have to flip a switch though. As a fourth year medical student, you're not signing your own orders. You're not independent as an intern. You have extraordinary, you're a doc, you're rolling, Mm -hmm. you're up and running. It's a totally different game. How do you help imbue? Let's just start with imbuing that sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the things that I actually, I, I adopted this just this last time around. And I think this is something I came across on social media that I really liked. And I really have racked my mind. I cannot remember where I saw this posted. So apologies to anybody who might hear this and say, hey, that was my language. But this notion of introducing myself, not as the attending physician, because God knows what that is, right? Like patients <laughs> don't always understand our system and our lingo, but I am the doctor who supervises your doctors. Um, somebody said that, and that really resonated with me because I want them to know that they are the doctors primarily. I want the patients to know that these learners are primarily their doctors. And so I think just setting that tone at the bedside, even with introductions, is an important part of it. Um, I think also cultivating uh, daily rituals around um, expectations of rounds. And I exist in a system where I don't round with the patients, don't round with the team every day, the senior resident rounds with the team alone, unless we have new patients to admit, right? But um, really making it clear that rounds is not done slash effective, doesn't matter kind of how it went, until everybody has a crystal clear sense of what the plan is. And if we do not finish a patient presentation, knowing what that plan is, and actually then becomes, you know, calculate this, look up this dose, but like, we should know what the plan is. And so if you don't know what the plan is, by the time we leave the bedside, like, let's time that out, because that's, that's really what rounds is about, right? Um, it's the beginning of your work for the day, and then having really robust systems around how is that work tracked? Um, I keep my own list, uh, senior residents at our institution run board, um, and after rounds every day, we just kind of basically list, list the action items to every patient every day. And I'm sure that there are variations of this that happen all over the country and the world. Um, but really making it clear that if there was something you missed, right, if you can't actually answer what the next steps are, then we've done something wrong by you. So how do we create spaces in those presentations for people to ask if they're not sure? And then ultimately make those a teaching moment. And then I think the next thing is really kind of how do you prioritize that work, right? Oh, and 
One of the interesting things I noticed this time in particular was people narrating almost out loud. Like, I, I know I have to see this patient and I know I have to discharge this patient, but the family's waiting in this room to have the conversation about consent for a procedure. I think I should probably go and meet with the family first. Do you think that that's an appropriate way to spend my time, right? And that very explicit naming and sorting of priorities, I think, is a really important part of clinical judgment and workflow management. And so um, when people list off a whole list of tasks, you know, which as we know in medicine are many, 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 asking them explicitly, which of these tasks do you think is the most important and which will you tackle first? I get the sense that when you are doing this work as the supervising physician for this team of doctors and then the case manager and the pharmacist, I get the sense that when you ask them questions, they know exactly what you're asking. You ask them, how will you prioritize this? So they hear that word prioritize and they know what they're supposed to do. I get the sense that you use direct questioning to really, really positive effect, not in where you're putting them on the mm -hmm. spot, but they're not guessing right. at what you want. It's okay. She wants me to think this through in a Mac using a mechanism of prioritization as opposed yeah. to something else. Do you do that intentionally? I do. I think I'm known as somebody who's a pretty direct communicator. I really enjoy words. I enjoy language. And I, I really dislike <laughs> lack of clarity, I would say. And um, it's one of the things I've really tried to cultivate in my own communication style. So I am pretty intentional around that. Um, and, I, and I see that our system is so in so many ways, so inefficient. There are many things working against the good work that our teams are trying to do on behalf of patients and their families that to whatever degree we can combat that within our team structures, we're really obligated to, right? So if I can get my message across directly and quickly and make sure that, that there's shared understanding, I kind of feel like that's my obligation as the team leader. That said, very much um, in my role as attending for our teaching team, I, I um, introduced myself to the team as uh, basically at the side, kind of the, the wingman, so to speak. Um, I really want the senior resident to be taking charge to making those clinical decisions. I consider myself um, an advisor, an arbiter, a mediator, should it need, you know, should we need to do that between services, somebody who can help them escalate. Um, and, I, and I tell them that my commitment to them is that I will tell you uh, if I think that there's science that we're not adhering to, right? Like, I think there's a guideline here. I think there's an evidence-based best practice here that we really must do. And on the other side of it, I will let them play in medicine where I think a lot of what we do is art. So I say my job is to arbit between science and art, and I'll make it clear which is which. And so it might be, what do you want to do about the glucose? management here, right? As you know, there are probably many different ways you could handle that, many different thoughts you might have. Um, you know, why don't you come up with a plan and let me know, that sort of thing. So, so I try to kind of step, um, play this interesting line between uh, totally intertwined, but also in a consultative role as our seniors try to grow into their role as, as the first point of contact. I'll submit this. I think that the other consequence of this approach that I think is probably, I might argue is going to be the most powerful that when you're doing that at the bedside, you know, we talked about how there's a sense of the July syndrome and, 
you know, patients are scared anyways. Maybe they are, you know, they're hearing that this is a new group and maybe they do get a sense of disquiet. Maybe they hear a joke made, you know, it's, it's not like the rooms are soundproof and maybe they can hear something. What you're doing will lend that sense of patients feeling like they're going to be well taken care of. It's going to provide that mm -hmm. sense of assuredness that this is being put through a rigorous process. Are you aware yeah. of that? Are you doing that consciously? Because I would submit that that's happening. I, I, I'm sure that in various situations, it's more or less conscious, yeah. um, depending on, you know, the environment of our interaction with a given patient or the circumstances of their admission, right? Those things, they differ. But I feel like it is my responsibility to represent the strengths of the team to the people that we're caring for and the broader care team, right? Yeah. I know that, the, you know, patients might have an idea about what it means to be in July, but certainly nurses and other folks, techs and People who've been around a while in this business also have their idea about a brand new crop of people coming through. And, and there can sometimes be this little shuffle kind of like, not predominance exactly, but, you know, that kind of clash of new worlds as people try to sort out, you know, what they're doing, um, you know, and not that they're would ever be <laughs> bullying, so to speak, but very experienced um, professionals in the hospital, um, trying to kind of play against folks who are very aware of their own kind of shortcomings and lack of experience. I feel like my job is to say, man, Meday, my team is awesome. They are doing such a good job. Yeah. They're following through on the things that they said. You know, if you didn't get a call back, it was because they were in with that patient with a new diagnosis of cancer for two hours. They sat there, you know, he didn't want to be alone, and that's why you didn't get a page back. But I guarantee it's not because this person doesn't care. Um, and I'm very vocal about the strengths of my team, and I, I'm very intentional about that. Do you ever have other attendings come to you and say, "Hey, Jennifer, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one year out. I, I used to be your resident. Now I'm an attending. Or hey, I'm only one year out. I, I've got a brand new team, and I feel a little bit underwater. Can you, can you give me some guidance? Do you ever have that happen? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I've had people um, come in the middle of um, their new experience and say, I feel a little bit underwater. I have many people who know that they're about to start and they're trying to kind of load their boat, so to speak, with people who can help them if they do find themselves in that setting. And I think, you know, the folks that we hire at the University of Washington, the folks that we train are extraordinarily well prepared. And I think, you know, for all of us, you just have to kind of get, get on that <laughs> thing and ride it. Right. And I think you pretty quickly realize that you have what it takes, but um, I'm very quick to offer to the folks that I know will be sticking around that, you know, hey, I'm going to be on service at the same time. I'm in med A. You should just, here's my number. You should come find me, even if you just want to go get coffee and just talk about it, right? Because if those times come. And, you know, to be honest, those times come as a seasoned attending as well. There are patients, there are emotional situations that really take a toll, things you have uncertainty about. And, and uncertainty never goes away, right? You just cultivate this um, I don't know, this kind of beautiful, terrible relationship with it over time. And, oh, and I think, man, um, <laughs> that really resonates. So I've been an attending. I finished residency in 2006, and I went straight into being okay. a hospitalist. So I've been a hospitalist yeah. full-time ever since. And mm -hmm. that, yeah, that un that feeling of uncertainty never goes away. You'll ha I have stretches where I'll feel never. good, and I'm like, it's coming. And then I'll, have, I'll meet a family or I'll see lab data or something will happen. And it's like, Oh man, this is going to be, yes. this is tough. Or I'm not exactly sure what my right next step is. And I just remind yes. myself this feeling mark is totally normal. Slow down, yes. you know, take your time, right. 
cancel things that need to be canceled, make people aware, whatever the case may be. But A, you've done this before. It's not like you know the answer, but you know the process. And it sounds like what you're helping your team to do is just to develop the process for when you have that feeling of uncertainty, you lean Mm -hmm. on your process. Yeah, I think that's true. And if I could just like speak a blessing over all of us, it would be, you know, maybe we never lose that sense of uncertainty. Because I think the moment that you've lost that, you lose your curiosity. And if you've lost your curiosity, you should not be in this game anymore. Totally. I agree. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us opt into this because I think we want to be forever humbled by the responsibility that we have and also the way in which we're, you know, really mandated because of that responsibility to continue to grow and to ask and, um, and learn. And that's certainly what brought me into it. So um, I always want to be uncertain. Um, I don't, I want to have enough clinical competence to know that most things are being managed absolutely fine. But I think if I'm not, kind of querying myself about what could I be missing or, you know, could this be a different presentation of something common? Then mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you can start to lose your edge a little bit. I, I agree with you. How much of the year do you get to be on service? How many touch points will you have with this new class of interns so that you'll get to circle back and say, I remember, you know, we were together on medicine team a back in July and now it's, you know, March of 2020. Oh my gosh, look where you guys are now. Does that happen? It does happen occasionally. And actually, there's um, there's one gentleman I can recall where I actually went into the chief resident, worked with him in his very first year of medical school in the introduction to clinical medicine course, and went on to have him as an intern, a senior resident, and then he graduated and became a fellow, and he's now an attending. And he's, he's like a trainee that I can recall where literally I had touch points at every point along the way. And that was like, that's tremendous. That's I cool. love watching people come in undifferentiated, uncertain, and just sprout those wings and go. Um, I will. I I touch base with them clinically about quarterly, and it won't be these same people, right? We have a really large medicine program. We have yeah. I think 182 residents, so it's huge. But um, but you know the other piece of my job, um, which is kind of an interesting one, is this uh, associate dean position for graduate medical education, and so. I think one of the things that I'm really attuned to when I'm on service is the clinical learning environment, right? And so I get the, I think, incredible honor of not only caring for patients with these incredible people, but also thinking the rest of the time about how to make this a really good kettle in which to, you know, cook from a medical education perspective. Um, And uh, that's, that's incredible. But if you start looking at the system with the eyes of, of how can we improve? Um, man, there's opportunities all over the place, but I get to play in that space, which I really, really love. And and I and I also kind of use it as an opportunity to kind of survey the folks I'm with. Like, if you had the ability to change things, what is it that you would be focused on? Right? I ask that question a lot. Yeah. So then let's pivot just a little bit because you did get to spend time with people who, right? They are they're very impressionable. You get to lay in some things that they'll never forget. Two really important themes that we need to talk about. Number one, food. Number two, superstitions. There are a couple oh, of there's a couple of superstitions that I was taught right out of the gate and okay. I passed them along. Can I share them okay. with you and maybe you can bounce some of your team's superstitions that maybe you had back? I would love that. All right. Superstition number one, never talk about how busy or not busy you've been on call. That's a still a thing. That's a thing. It's very it's real. real. If, yep. if you're not busy, don't say anything. That's right. 
we had uh, the other night a fairly quiet overnight call and yeah. the resident told me, she said it was so quiet, you know, the usual thing. I checked my pager <laughs> oh, a bunch no. of times to make sure it was working. And then I found myself track, uh, stalking the ED tracking shell just to see. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's, that's really bad, you know, when you yeah. start stalking the ED to see what's going to happen. Trust the process. They're going to light you up. Don't worry about it. That's right. They're that's coming. Right. So that's one of the big happen ones. right before midnight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, that was the one of the biggest ones. The other big one was don't make plans the day before you go off on a vacation because that day yeah, you will obviously get smashed. And so I'm asking, right, today is your first day back uh, uh, you know, <laughs> off service. Was yesterday bananas? Did this? Did my superstition live up? My day yesterday, it was a senior only day. Um, actually, our students were there too, but the interns were off. So it was she and I. It was it was bonkers yesterday. I mean, it was my last day, and there was yeah. a fair amount to do. But you know, I'm not usually there the whole day. Yeah. But I think I got home about nine o'clock last night, and we had, <laughs> you know, several really significant end of life discussions yeah. and this new diagnosis of metastatic cancer and variceal bleed, and we just got it all. And to the point where she and I just kind of sat side by side and kind of just had to laugh because it was relentless. Yeah. And you know, I said, you know what? I got your notes. You just you just take that pager with your bad self and you call those things back. Right. And we just tag we just tag teamed it. But um yeah, that's that held true for sure. For sure. My wife and I have a family rule that it's today, I mean it still applies. When I'm going off service, we don't plan a yeah. date night, we don't we don't make plans with friends, nothing because I'm gonna get rocked. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And if I don't, yeah. we don't say anything. We just move on. We don't tempt the gods for the next round. Never. You never would. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was working over the 4th of July. My family, I've got a husband and two boys and they went to visit my in-laws in Spokane, Washington. And, and, uh, so I was home by myself and I, there are times on, you know, on wards where 14 days in a row without a day off, you kind of start to go into power save mode. I kind of call it, you know, yeah. where it's, it's kind of like you're going to do the important clinical work, but beyond that, you kind of, you power down a little bit. Right. So my evenings were literally just Uber Eats. <laughs> and then I think I watched more Netflix than I have maybe in my entire life. That's, that's I the right word. I really good stuff on Netflix. The dog was gone. Yeah. Everybody was gone. And I just like powered down. And I yeah. think sometimes that's necessary. I think, you know, for people who are new to this, people who are old, old at this, I think it applies both ways, but it really does take a toll to have that much cognitive load over time. Right. And you can, you can be good at what you do and you can know your patient population really well but carrying that responsibility is is not to be scoffed at. So I think you're wise to just create some space in your life, you know, to allow for the the fact that you're you're caring quite a bit when you care for the lives of people. No question. And I would um, also submit it's not just a cognitive load, it's a physical load because you're moving back and forth throughout the hospital. Physically it can be quite demanding enough. when you're working for 30 plus hours, your step count yeah. is going to be really really high. So that then transitions yeah. us into that sort of idea of self-care, right? You talked about, you know, getting a Netflix binge in when you can. And I guarantee you everyone's going to be pinging you on Twitter wondering what you wanted to, what you watched. <laughs> I'll tell them all about it. I yeah. got some good stuff. Beyonce, I don't know why I didn't know she was terrific. Oh, my goodness. I want to be Beyonce so bad right uh, now. Oh, the, 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 the Bayhive love that. So then let's, but let's transition into, into the nutrition part of this, right? The, the other part of self-care. Yeah. So I was taught right from the get-go, never walk past the drinking fountain without drinking some water. And I don't yeah. think, I think I still do that for the most part. 
Um, that yeah. was a big one. And then never, ever miss the midnight cafeteria snack unless you're at a code and you can't get away. But otherwise, you have to go eat when the cafeteria reopens in the middle of the night. That's really wise. And I think that the residents, what I've seen, I see a lot of folks who go down and get coffee. But increasingly, I think folks really, um, I think a lot of us want to control what we can control. And yeah. I would say over the years, residents are still going to the cafeteria. And our cafeteria is actually pretty reasonable. But a lot of people are bringing in some really good homemade food. And actually, it's pretty sweet because I did see a lot of, you know, partners and spouses bringing meals in for their kind of newly minted intern partners and i remember my husband doing that for me it felt really special but um, i'm always impressed sometimes with how these interns and students are eating i'm like man can i come to your house i had uber eats last i know we did not eat row, well you know we did not eat well but we ate really well like it was delicious yeah. for sure and then the last one that's actually as much as I, you know, on my social media feed and everything, like we talk about coffee, I'm actually a fan of really trying to minimize your caffeine intake when you're, when you're working, not even when you're on call, yeah. it'll make you feel crummy at the end of the day and you'll get dehydrated. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that said, I do it all day. Oh, me too. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. No, I just pound it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'll make it into the pantry here and there with one of those big old pitchers of water and yeah. and usually leave it leave it someplace and forget where <laughs> I put it. But I, I'm really good at telling other people that they should go and get meals and drink water. Right. So I doctor heal, doctor heal thyself, right? Oh, I love it. Um, they know when you're on service because yeah. there's the plastic jugs all over the unit. It's just ridiculous, right? And, you know, you leave them on those railings as you go on rounds, even when you think you're smart and bring oh a plastic bottle or something. And then you're like, oh, shoot, is that like five floors up? Yeah. <laughs> Forget it. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like there, there's still um, enough um, adrenaline, <laughs> I think, in the hospital right now that people are holding up pretty well. Yeah. I, I had a really interesting conversation with my resident. And I did tell them I was going to do this podcast. And I said, you know, I'm not going to not going to overshare, but I was very uh, struck by a conversation I had with my senior resident. And she had said that um, she's like, does this get easier? You know? Hmm. And I was like, tell me what you mean. And she's like, I just, I go to bed at night and I dream about labs and I, I jump out of bed to imaginary pages and, um, and, and she's like, I don't know how to turn it off. I just feel this incredible, uh, incredible weight that I can't let go of, you know? And, uh, and I remember those days. I remember my very first call night as an intern laying in that bed for, you know, my whatever 15 minutes I was in the call room with like the covers pulled up to my chin and clutching my pager, quite literally clutching it with, you know, eyes as big as pancakes, just waiting for the sky to fall. And, and I think stepping into that senioring role feels immense, right? When you need to know a lot about a lot of people compared to a lot about half the people. Um, and the amount of time that she was getting up, you know, and spending in the morning to kind of pre, pre, pre round on people was pretty, pretty immense. And it was clear that it wasn't going to be really a sustainable thing. So we started to talk about strategies for just efficient, you know, chart review, um, how to delegate some of that work, how to set appropriate expectations with the interns and students on what they would bring to rounds and really how to create some healthy boundaries around it. Cause the job, you know, can eat you alive, particularly at first. Um, and I and I really just applaud her insight and her willingness to bring that to the fore so early. That's a really great way for us to segue into the next time you come on the show, because I will submit <laughs> that as difficult as it was for me to learn how to be an intern, my transition from an intern to an R2 
was way harder, was way, way harder. And to this day, there's very little conversation around it. There was a wonderful curbsiders episode a few months ago with a couple of, of wonderful people. And we'll have a link to that one in our show notes talking about that transition of becoming a second year resident where you now take on a lot of, a lot of new responsibility and the voltage drop is really intense. So that is a whole other subject. And I'm glad you called that out. And I, I, I will submit to uh, good for your resident for bringing that to your attention to say, this is really hard because it is really, really hard. And so that's, yeah. that's a whole yeah. other subject, but good for her. <laughs> I mean, I would say that that's something still, you know, when you're kind of the top of whatever the team's totem pole is, although I'm a pretty flat hierarchy person, I would say you still carry that with you, right? There are those patients that I worry about at night and I'll get up and I'll check the chart or I'll call in and see how they're doing. They're doing and, so there is an element of being able to say, you know what, I get it. That's hard. This is especially hard. Yep. But may that never entirely go away for the same reasons we discussed earlier, right? You want to do right by these folks. You have what it takes. You're the right kind of person with the right kind of instinct. You're the right kind of leader to be launching them into their careers. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. I will invite Mark. you to go get some rest, get a workout, get a good meal, <laughs> hang out with the family. But Sounds this was amazing. awesome. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for all the work that you did over the last few weeks. Thanks for all these incredible lessons. This was fantastic, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. You're just, uh, I think the dialogues that you started on social media and beyond are really remarkable. And I've just so enjoyed them. And, and being part of it feels like a real honor. So thank you. And for inviting me at my crispiest. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This was wonderful. We'll have you back on. Take good care of yourself. And I love that. Thanks so thanks. much. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.